good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. It's good to see everyone here. Uh, wasn't yesterday great uh, after such a cold, especially Sunday last week? Uh, it'll get cold again, but we certainly enjoyed yesterday. Glad you're here. We started a new series. We teach usually in series of three, four, five weeks. And we started one last week titled, Not Falling in Love, But Staying in Love. And again, if you'd like to catch up on that or hear it again, it's on our website and podcast. Today's topic is remodeling. Uh, if you're a Jesus follower, if you're not, Jesus is a great model to follow. And uh, so we're going to talk about how he approached relationships. Now, this is my favorite teaching. If you've been here around, around here for a while, you've heard this before. Uh, if I've done your wedding in the last few years, so Richard and Megan, this is going to be a little repetitious what I use at my wedding. Uh, this is one of my favorite teachings because this is what's helped me the most in my relationship with my wife. And most of you know my wife. Uh, she's a fantastic lady, but uh, uh, we bump heads occasionally, believe it or not. So this is something that's really helped us, and so I truly believe it's going to help you. So we started with... A couple of uh, phrases last week. Falling in love requires a pulse. Are you breathing? All right. You can fall in love, probably have fallen in love, uh, depending on how old you are, multiple times. You fall in love with, back in school, you fell in love with people. Um, You fall in love with people you don't even know, you know, some famous person on the screen or listen to their music or whatever. So... All it requires to fall in love is a pulse. Now, staying in love is a whole different animal, right? Staying in love requires a plan. It's something you've got to figure out. It's something you've got to work out and do. And, of course, most of us, or hopefully all of us, believe that it's something worth working for. Now, if you and I lived about 150 years ago, this wouldn't be a problem. You know, I'd get my little wife and... We'd go out on our little farm, and we'd get a, help raise some kids, and we'd go back into town and interact with other people. You know, maybe we went to church on Sunday. If not, uh, a couple, every couple of weeks, we'd go into town to the store, all right? There really wasn't many options. There wasn't much competition. So uh, staying in love wasn't that difficult. We're in a whole different world today, aren't we? And so there's a lot of, a lot of um, options, if you will, a lot of distractions, Falling in love just requires an attraction. We see somebody that, 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 that physically appeals to us, their personality appeals to us, we, we are attracted to them. But f- staying in love requires action. And uh, we started last week with called the Juno of, uh, Effect. Uh, it's from a movie called Juno. And it's a teenage girl who gets pregnant and she has a conversation with her dad about two-thirds of the way through the movie, because she doesn't see very, she doesn't have models of good, good relationships or marriages. So she asked her dad this question, I wonder sometimes if people ever stay together for good, like people in love. Dad, I need to know that it's possible for two people to stay happy together forever. I don't see it, but I want to know it's true. Now, if you're a Jesus follower here this morning, uh, that's great. If you're not, we're glad that you're here. But as a Jesus follower, I believe this is the image of God in us. In fact, if you're not, it's the image of God in you. That we have this desire to be connected in a deep way with some other, 
uh, person. And just like God desires to be connected with us, have a relationship with us, we desire to be connected with Him and with other people. So it reflects uh, the image of God in us. We also talked about last week, you have to make love a verb. For many of us, it's a noun. But it has to be, it's an action, it's something we have to do, so love needs to be a verb. So we really what we're talking about is verbing love, <laughs> all right? Now, for me, this is important. This is something I can learn. In fact, I've, as I'm going to share with in a little few minutes, this is something I've learned recently in marriage. I'm really frustrated when I come across some problem that I, I can't fix and I can't learn how to make it better. But this is something that we all can learn to make it better. I remember teaching math in, uh, at Sanmar to, the, to um, foster or for um, parent children, that were take, teenagers, take, girls actually taken away from their parents. And I taught math, and almost all girls hate math. And I believe as a teacher, if, I'm not, if they're not connecting with the, with the material, then it's my fault. So the gimmick I would always use with, with, with these le- young ladies was money. Money is math, right? And so I would say, hey, you know, if you made so much, if you got a job making $40,000 a year, how much would you make a week? They'd be interested in those numbers. They could figure that out. So this is something you and I can learn. So we should be excited about that. So Jesus told us, we got to be careful where we take our cue, what model we use. And, we, and maybe your grandparents had a great marriage, but he said, that's not your, your model, that's not your cue. Your parents maybe, maybe not, uh, siblings, whoever, uh, celebrities, whatever. That's not your model, that's not where you take your cue about loving relationships. Now I'm going to talk about mostly husband-wife, boyfriend-girlfriend things, but these principles apply to all relationships. In fact, we're going to look at it, it isn't applied specifically uh, to uh, husbands and wives. We said last week, Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. This is your example. This is your cue. You do it like I do it. All right? So we got a great example. Then Paul, a few years later, Paul comes along, and he has this dramatic conversion. He becomes probably the most famous uh, Christian of his day. He goes around starting churches, and later writes letters to the churches, which is what we call the New Testament. A lot of it's the, these letters he wrote. And we looked at something he wrote last week. We're going to look at something he wrote this week. And we're going to apply it to your relationships, especially your relationship with your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. Now, this passage, let me just tell you, this passage, these verses, this part of this letter is really complex. And the theologians, people who sit around and think and talk about and write about the Bible all the time, they love this passage and all the intricacies, whatever that word is, intricacies. We're going to just look at it simply face value this morning, all right? We're not going to deal with all that stuff. And we're going to ask you the question, what would this look like in your love relationships if you did it like Jesus did it, all right? Let me warn you, this is challenging. This is not easy. This is not natural. Otherwise, relationships would be easy, right? But as I said last week, bad relationships are really hard. So if we can do something hard to make our bad relationships good, then it's not as hard, right? So with that caveat, let's get started. This is in Philippians, Paul's letter to Philippi, church in Philippi. We're going to start in chapter 2, verse 3. 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition. That's a, that, that's a lifetime of work right there, right? Because we're all naturally what? Selfish, okay. And so Paul is saying the God model is to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, really what he's talking about here is competition. And one of the real problems you ha- we all have in relationships is competition. And I'm a really competitive guy, and this was really bad <laughs> when I first got married. Because every time we had a disagreement, every time we had an argument, I wanted to win. That's right. I wanted to be smarter. I proved I was smarter than her, that I was right more than her, etc., etc. I wanted to prove I was right. Uh, we need to do what I want to do. Uh, and when stuff wasn't good, it wasn't my fault. It was her fault because I wanted to win. Now, some of you heard me say this before. If you win, and I'm going to mostly talk he, she, because I'm a he, but you can turn it around for your relationship. If I win, she loses. The problem with that in a relationship, when one of you loses, both of you lose, right? So you got to get rid of the competition in your relationships if you want to win, if you want the relationship to win, which is way better than you or me winning. So he says, don't do anything competitively in a relationship. Don't do anything to win. And we'll talk about what we're supposed to do here in a minute. Then he goes on. Rather, all right, I'm not going to try and always win. Rather, I'm in humility, value the other above yourself. When we use the word humility, we mean mean it this way. It's not thinking less of yourself. You know, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm a loser. I mean, sometimes we feel that way when our relationships are failing. But we know Jesus died for us. That gives us tremendous value. So it's not that I think think less about of myself, but I think less about myself. I don't think about myself. All right, I I think about my priorities. I think about the other person. All right, that's what he means by humility. Value above yourself. This means now. Notice the wording carefully. Act as if. That person is more important than you. We all know, hopefully you know, nobody's more important than anybody else, right? God created us all equal. God loves us all. No person is ultimately more valuable than another person. But we are to act as if, this is a decision we make, that person is more important than you. Now, we all know how to do this. We all have done this. We've all been in situations where we're not the most important person in the room. You ever been to a wedding, even your wedding, if you're not the bride? Who's the most important person in the room? Who stand, you stand up for who? When the bride comes in. Guys, I hate to tell you this, and if you're engaged and going to get married, you're not going to be the most important guy that day. Now, I think I should be the most important person. Because actually, the wedding doesn't happen without me, right? But it isn't true. It's always the bride. You ever been to court? Who's the most important person in the room? The judge. When he walks in, everybody stands up. And if he doesn't like something you do, he can throw you out of the courtroom. If he doesn't like something you do even worse, he can throw you in jail. He's the most important person in the room. Have you ever had a boss? 
Maybe you've been to your boss's house, been to a place where your boss is. Who's the most important person in the room? Your boss is. Some of you have been in the military. Some of you are in the military. Who's the most important person in the room? It's the one with the most stripes. I don't know how you say it, but anyway. Uh, They're the most important person in the room. So we all know how to do this. We all do this often. So in your relationship with that special someone, as you approach every decision, you need to act as if he or she, the other person, is more important than you. Not that they are, but act as if. So what would that look like in your relationship? If you have trouble understanding this, think about your most prized possession. You say, well, my most prized possession is out in the the garage. You want me to put my spouse out in the garage? No. (laughs) Why is the car in the garage or your bike or whatever it is? Because you want to protect it, right? Maybe you have a, in a safe. You want me to lock my spouse away? No. Why is that possession in your safe? Because you want, again, protect it. You don't want anybody else to, to, to steal it away from you. So, Act as if that person is most important because I want to protect them. Now, the pushback is they don't deserve it. And I would say, well, if they did, you would probably be doing it. So if you're not, you have to act as if that person is. Now, we all would love to be treated this way, wouldn't we? You'd love to be treated that way. Wouldn't you love to be treated like the most important person in the room? Maybe not in court, and maybe not, you know, at a wedding. But you'd like to be treated that way. So it's not based on their actions, if they deserve it, how they're treating you, uh, if you like them or not. I don't know what you think about the president, but the president walked in here. We'd all treat him with respect, wouldn't we? Might not like him. (laughs) Hopefully you would. Respect the office. It's not that you're better than them. They're better than you. Think about it this way. You ever been in awe of somebody? I'll give you an example. When I was a child, I was a big Baltimore Oriole fan. I went to games. And we stayed one day after a game. And half of you probably don't even know this guy. But his name of Brooke Robinson was a famous third baseman for the Orioles back then. And I actually met him and got his autograph. So consequently... I'm in awe of this guy. I didn't interrupt him or correct him or say, hey, you need to listen to me. I'm just in awe, right? That's a, kind of a little bit of what uh, I believe um, Paul is getting at here. What you do in that situation is you defer. You defer. I have my opinions, but your opinions are more important. Brooks Robinson, but you know about baseball, I can't even imagine and the skill level. And boy, just, I, I want to know. Teach me. So this is a daily, maybe hourly, minute-by-minute decision you and I need to make with that, in that relationship with that special someone. Am I going to act as if, not that they are, act as if they're the most important person in the room? What would that look like? What would you have to change? What would you have to do differently? 
Now, I know, again, the big pushback is, is I don't like them. I don't like them. I don't feel like doing this. So emotions are the big enemy to doing this. I understand that. So next week, y'all got to come back next week. Next week, I'm going to talk about this big enemy of emotions. So just kind of hang in there with me this week and wait the next week, and hopefully I'll be able to help you with that. Now, uh, ladies, how did you guys do last Sunday with the whole Valentine's thing? Things up, thumbs up, thumbs down. Come on, thumbs up, thumbs down. Let me see. Thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up. I got a thumbs down in the first service. Ah, mostly thumbs up. Good job, guys. Good job. All right, hopefully you did a lot better than this guy. All right. All right, here we go. Here it is. Okay. This is my anniversary gift? Yep. A vacuum cleaner? Dual bag. This is the best vacuum cleaner you'll ever have, baby. Get in there. What? Not a big fan of that look. I got you. Time immemorial. When men have messed up, they get sent here by their wives or girlfriends. Bold. Yeah, but I don't deserve to be here. I didn't do anything. Every man in the doghouse thinks he's innocent. Isn't that right, boys? <laughs> Look, all, all I know is that I got my wife this really nice gift, and then now here. What'd you get her? This brand new dual bag vacuum cleaner, actually. Hear that, boys? He got our vacuum cleaner. You're a fool, man. <laughs> oh, it's dual bag. And Doolbag doesn't know why he's here. <laughs> I realize it's not the most romantic gift, but there are many reasons a man can end up in here. All right, it's a longer video. I can't show it off to you. But good job, guys. You managed to stay out of the doghouse. All right, so Paul's going to go on. He's going to tell us about how we do this. Really practical stuff we can do. It's stuff we can learn. So he says... Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. Now, this is hard. Why is this hard? Because what are you interested in? What you're interested in, right? You're not interested in what they're interested in. My wife is, some of you don't know my wife, most of you know my wife. She's now vegan. She's been a vegetarian for a long time. Now she's a vegan. She's more strict diet. And she loves watching video, uh, YouTube videos and podcasts about being a vegan. And I'm saying, okay, have your fun. Listen to, I like the way I eat over here. But that's her interest. So we're driving somewhere the other day, and she puts one on the, on the phone. We stick up on the dash. I can't watch it, but I'm listening. It was really fascinating. So... This is hard because I'm not interested in what she's interested in. I'll give you a, a bigger example. We've been in our house about uh, seven and a half years ago. Yeah, seven and a half years. Uh, we built our own house, kind of our dream house. And, but it's not finished like your house. There's always stuff to do, right? Stuff to update, stuff to change. So this time last year, we're trying to decide what's our next big project. Not the little ones, but the big one. So my wife's project is to build a deck off the back basement. If you go out of our basement, the ground kind of just on the side of a mountain, so the ground just, we can't go out that door. 
And it's been like that for, well, six, six years at that point. So that's the project she wants. Now, we have one room in our basement that's not finished yet. And it's designed to be the home theater. Now, the little backstory here. My wife doesn't watch much TV. I watch a lot more TV than her. So consequently, I want the home theater built, and she wants the deck built. Well, long story short, most of you know this, we built the deck, <laughs> all right? Now, I, I like being outside if I'm running, and I run in the woods. Uh, I love to do that. I, I, I love building the deck. I love doing construction work. I love being outside to do that. But when I'm relaxing, I don't like being outside. It's either too hot or it's too cold or there's too many bugs, flies, mosquitoes, whatever, okay? So we build the deck, and some of you have been over, and it's nice to ha- entertain people out there. And then sometimes she'll say, hey, why don't we eat dinner out there? And I say, oh, sure, let's eat dinner out there. And so we go out and eat dinner on the deck. But then October rolls around, and guess what happens? All the deck furniture comes inside, and I been staring at that empty deck for now, what's that, November, December, (laughs) it's not being used. Guess what? If I had built my home theater, I would probably use it every day. But I am not interested in what, just what I'm interested in, I'm interested in what she's interested in. And so that's a decision out most of you know my wife. My wife is great, and she, she returns this many times over. I'm just using that as, a, uh, as an example. But this is a decision you and all I have to make all the time. And we can't just be neutral about this, or even worse, you know, make fun of our spouse's interests. We really need to take interest in what they're interested in. Here's the question, why? Why would I take interest in, in a vegan diet. In fact, I, for her birthday was Monday, by the way, and I took her to a special vegan restaurant that had a special vegan menu for her. So you can ask her about it. She loved it. So we can't just be neutral. But why? I'm not interested in a vegan diet necessarily, but I'm interested in Deb, who is interested in a vegan diet. And I'm interested in staying in love with Deb, so consequently, I am interested in what she's interested in. Well, here's the question you have to ask. Is the risk worth the reward? It's a risk, right? You know, I might be interested in all her stuff, and she might never be interested in what I'm interested in. Is the risk worth the reward? And I would tell you from experience... Absolutely. If I could do it over again, I would marry my wife. I would just marry her sooner, but I really couldn't do that because she just had turned 18 when we got married. So I don't think I could have done it much earlier. Now, it's a little frustrating to me when I talk to couples and I ask one of them, uh, what's, you know, what's, what's your husband do? Oh, he does something with numbers, or he does something with wires, or he does something with cars. Uh, that's all you know? How long have you been married? Or, you know, what's your wife do? Well, she... She takes care of the house. Now, what does your wife do? All right. And some of us have this, and I had this for a while, and I always say it in, in wedding ceremonies, it's not a 50-50 thing. But that's the, tend, the way we tend to approach relationship. You know, you do your half, and I do my half. And come Let me just tell you, if you've got a 50-50 model, what you're going to wind up with, you might say together, but you'll wind up with um, a partnership, a contract. 
You won't end up with an intimate relationship. You might even end up with tape down the middle of the room. I don't know. So we, we, Jesus is our model, and he's an all-in model. And so if you're in an intimate relationship with somebody, you need to be all-in. <clears throat> and we all make excuses why we can't or shouldn't be. And Paul knew that we would have our excuses. So we were saying, well, how far should I go with this? And again, Jesus is our model. So we say, well, let's look how far Jesus went. All right? That's fair, right? So how far did Jesus go? In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset or attitude or approach as Christ Jesus. Now, if you're a Jesus follower, this is a command. This is an imperative. This is said, you must have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You must look at things through Jesus' eyes, if you will. You must look at things with, uh, to, according to this model. All right? So what is it? What's the model? Let's go on. <clears throat> Who, meaning Jesus, being in the very nature of God, or being God, okay, we're talking about God here, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I don't know about you, but I like to do fun things like this. Wouldn't it be fun to be Jesus for a day? Somebody you don't like, zap them with a the disease. Somebody you love, you cure them of their disease, you know. In any place you go, you're the most important person. You're God, right? So you can walk in any restaurant. You could walk into the White House and say, hey, let me sit behind the desk. Because I'm Jesus. I'm God. So Jesus could have done that, right? Did he ever do that? He never did that. That literally means to grasp. He never grasped the I'm God button or lever. I never pushed the I'm God button. Nothing to his own advantage. We used this term last week, kind of a bad word, remember? <laughs> uh, submission. And Paul in another place talking about this mutual submission. And then guys, sometimes when they're frustrated with their wives, if they know the Bible a little bit, they'll say, and then that verse, after, next verse. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> the overarching principle is mutual submission, submitting to one another. The other person's a priority. Next verse says, wives, submit to your husbands. Who's that written to? Husbands, written to you? No, you can cut that out. Guys, you can cut that out of your Bible. It has nothing to do with you. Right? Wives, you need to pay attention. But it's interesting because Paul is explaining what mutual submission is. He just says to the wives, just, just do it. Guys, you, you and I got it tougher. He said, this is what mutual submission looks like. You're going to love your wife like Christ loved the church and died for it. So I always tell women, you got it easy. Now, guys, if somebody's going to shoot our spouse, we'll probably jump in front and take the bullet, Right? But we come home from work and we're tired and our wife wants us to help with something. You know, we can do the big dying. It's, it's, the little dying is hard, isn't it? Mutual submission. We'll talk about that a little bit uh, next week. So then he says, goes on. Rather than take advantage of his position, he made himself nothing. 
God made himself nothing? It literally means to empty himself. Now, we don't usually use that word, but we use the opposite. We say that person's full of themselves. All right, so that's not a good thing, right? And so Jesus did just the opposite. He emptied himself. means he didn't claim any of his rights. He had the right to be worshipped, right? And served. He is God. And what's he turn around and do? He made himself nothing going on by taking the very nature of a servant. Maybe slave is a better word here. Being made in human likeness. What did Jesus deserve? He deserved our worship. He deserved to stay in heaven and be worshipped by the angel. But he became a servant. Who is a servant to? To you and to me. Now here's the interesting thing. Do you think less of Jesus because he did that? Now we admire him, don't we? So your spouse is not going to think, or boyfriend, girlfriend, is going to think less of you when you serve them. But again, this is a decision, daily, hourly decision you and I need to make. Then he goes on, and we'll be finished here in a, in a couple minutes. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Jesus wanted to die on the cross. No, he didn't want to die on the cross. So humbled means to do what? It means he placed himself under. He placed himself under. Jesus, God, placed himself under. Under who? Under you. And under me. So again, how, what would that look like in your relationship? Now again, this is hard. I don't want to be under anybody else, do I? You don't. So Jesus had this dilemma, if God can have a dilemma. I can claim my rights. I can stay here in heaven, be worshipped by all the angels, and, you know, just, just have a good old time. But then I'm going to be eternally separated from, from my creation, mankind. Or I can leave here, take on a crummy body, and deal with our garbage for 33-plus years, and then treated horribly and tortured and crucified and killed with the chance that I can be reconnected with mankind. That was his dilemma. That's your dilemma. That's my dilemma in your relationship with your special other. Am I going to Demand my rights and be separated, or am I going to serve that person with the potential to be connected? Here's a good question. What's your big deal? What's my big deal? Our big deal is we're separated from God by our sin. What's our greatest need then? We need to be reconnected, to be forgiven. And so Jesus said, I'm going to make your deal my deal. I'm going to come to earth and die for you so we can be reconnected. Now, here's the bottom line. He couldn't have it both ways. And here's the bottom line for you and I. We can't have it both ways. We can't get what we deserve and have the intimacy we crave. Now, the problem is culture tells us what? You can have it both ways. You can have it all. 
It's a lie. You can't. If God couldn't do it, Jesus couldn't do it, you and I can't do it. So it's meaning saying no to me, no to my interest, saying yes to hers. Now here's the big question. Is it worth it? And somebody that's in that kind of relationship, absolutely. I wouldn't, you, you couldn't pay me to do something different. You, could, you couldn't get me to do anything differently. So here's your question we all got to ask. My goal is what? My goal is to be right. My goal is to be smarter. My goal is to win the arguments. Is my goal, what is my goal? Or is it my goal to serve that one I love? And we all probably have seen couples argue in public. And especially if they've been married for a while or together for a while. Usually the one, and I'm going to pick on women because I'm a guy. <laughs> uh, you, know, the women, you know, the women will be scolding him, correcting him. And, and she's probably right. He probably screwed up last time. He's probably screwing up this time. But you know my, think, my thought, and he probably just taking it. My thought is, I wouldn't want to go home with her. That's your thought too, isn't it? Or vice versa. I wouldn't go home, want to go home with him. So we don't even like people that necessarily win in relationships, do we? We don't want to be with them. We don't want to be like them. So here's something I want you to think about as we finish up. Jesus didn't come into the world to be right. Did he? He came in the, into the world to serve you and I. Can you imagine what that would look like in a relationship? Not just a you know, parent-child, whatever relationship. You and I need to decide what's more important. Us or me? Talked about submission, mutual submission. Mutual submission facilitates emotions. And we're out of time this morning, and I did this deliberately, so you've got to come back next week, all right? We're going to talk about emotions next week. You've heard me say this a lot if you've been around here. It's so much easier to act yourself into a feeling than feel yourself into an action. It worked the opposite when you were dating and first met each other. But once you get married and time goes by, you don't always feel like doing that. In fact, the stuff that attracted you to them also becomes annoying things, right? So you want to get the feeling back? You've got to do the actions. So if you're in a disagreement or argument with your loved one, let me kind of flesh this out for you. My attitude needs to be, well, I must be wrong. I must not quite understand my wife because my wife is fantastic. And so it's just, you know, I just need more information and then I can understand where she's coming from. That needs to be your attitude. And if you're a Jesus follower, you have to ask ourselves, do I want what God wants for us? Let me just tell you, this is a game changer. It's been a game changer for me and our relationship. Our relationship, and I, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I've just kind of learned this four or five years ago so, uh, and implemented this. Our relationship has been so much better the last four or five years than it ever has been, the first 35. So if you're younger than that, hey, you can be to get ahead of the game. So please, if you can, join us next week. We'll try and help you with that whole emotional enemy. Uh, let's pray and we'll, we'll close with a song. Father God, thank you. 
We thank you that you are our model, the greatest model. I mean, if you could leave being God to become one of us, we can certainly leave whatever rights we think we deserve so the relationship would win, not just us win. And our need is for you to be connected with you and to be forgiven by you. So I pray for anyone here, God, that is not. We're glad that they're here, but if they're not, we pray that today they would at least pursue, try and figure out, be interested in reconnecting with you because you, <laughs> you did all the hard part. You made our deal your deal. You loved us unconditionally, just like we are. The question is, will we accept it? We accept you in that gift. I pray that you will this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Whatever is going on in your decision-making process, connecting with God, connecting with one another, we'd like to know. That's what your connections cards are for. Or come and talk to one of us uh, after service. Thanks.